UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Lawmakers in both Missouri and Kansas are heading to their respective capitals to begin their 2024 legislative sessions. In just a few minutes, we'll dive into what we should expect from this year's session that just got underway in Jeff City with the Missouri Independence Jason Hancock. But first, we're joined by Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service to preview the forthcoming legislative session in Topeka. Dylan, always good to have you here. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So once again, Governor Laura Kelly is pushing for legislators in the general uh, Kansas legislature to expand Medicaid. There's been repeated attempts to do this, but they failed. Do we expect a lot more of the same this year? Yeah, she's already uh, pitched the idea of expanding it. This is, you know, her going into her sixth year as governor. This is basically her sixth plan. <laughs> uh, but uh, this plan basically... Uh, uh, she's trying to like meet Republicans in the middle who oppose this plan or oppose expanding Medicaid, where um, she's pitching a work requirement, which basically would require anyone who receives this new Medicaid um, would need to either have a job or prove they're looking for a job. Um, but uh, you know, Republicans have already they've already come out and said they don't support this idea. I mean, the part of the reason is. Um, uh, it's a federal program, so the federal government would have to sign off on this work requirement, and uh, they're very uh, um, skeptical that the federal government would ever do that. So they kind of think Kelly's proposal is um, kind of playing politics and smoke and mirrors. You just get the sense from reading the coverage of uh, her attempt to move to the middle on this issue that she's just trying anything she can to get Medicaid expansion across the finish line, and Republicans just aren't willing to budge at all here. Right. I mean, Kelly's pitched several different plans to try to get this uh, across the finish line. Um, but yeah, she's being stonewalled by re the Republican leaders, even though there are Republicans in the state house uh, who do support it. But those in leadership have routinely um, rejected it. Um, and as we know, uh, a majority of Kansans support it. We've seen that in the Kansas Speaks uh, survey. But yeah, I mean, Kelly told me before she's going to pitch it every chance she gets <laughs> until mm -hmm. it gets passed. But um, um, yeah, so far, no good. She's actually been traveling the state trying to get this thing across uh, this year. I, I was want to go back to a point you just made, Dylan, that it's not only that a majority of Kansans support the idea of expanding Medicaid, but a vast majority do, according to that poll that you mentioned. Given that, why have Republicans been able to hold out on this issue as long as they have? It appears they're not paying a price for it at the ballot box, at least not yet. Right. So, I mean, there's a Republican supermajority in the state house, so they, you know, control the, uh, um, you know, what passes and they have the ability to override uh, vetoes. But, you know, Kelly, as you mentioned, she's going around the state, you know, really hammering home how how much people want this uh, throughout the state. She uh, keeps, you know, um, having events about it. And when I spoke to her last week, she said, you know, 2024 is an election year, and that's part of what she's doing, bringing this up constantly, even though she knows lawmakers aren't going to approve it this year, or at least um, they say they won't. Um, she's trying to use the election next year where every seat in the Kansas legislature is up for election. She's trying to use that as pressure to either get people, Republicans who support it, or, um, you know, uh, the leadership to, you know, reconsider um, 
their their opposition to it or convince people to vote out those who are against it um, next fall. So listeners should not hold their breaths over Medicaid expansion in Kansas appears to be the takeaway here. Remind our listeners, if you would, Dylan, how is the legislature in Kansas organized in terms of how many lawmakers represent each party? Um, well, right. So there in the House, there is 85 Republicans of the 125 seats, which is a super majority. Yeah, super majority. And that means they can override any uh, veto from the governor if they choose to do so. Right. That's the case in both the House and Senate. Uh, they have a couple more seats than they need for the super majority. So they have more than two thirds in both. Um, but yeah, they, they can override Kelly if Republicans stick together. Um, they did that several times last year, uh, specifically on things like transgender rights, although they also failed a couple times last year, like on tax cuts and um, school vouchers and things like that. So, but, um, you know, one of the big focuses of Democrats is just breaking up that supermajority, um, you know, sending, you know, trying to disrupt things. This session is going to be a big top, a big topic for them, and then hoping to uh, flip a few seats in November. So what you're saying is the governor's really pushing a rock up a hill when it comes to passing her priorities because she faces the supermajority every single day of every single legislative session. Right. Her, as a Democratic governor in Kansas, especially with the supermajority, her job is kind of. She's told me this before. Her job is kind of keeping things. Um, you know, not going too far mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, trying to be a stopgap, uh, stopping some of the more conservative ideas that um, she opposes. But um, so, yeah, her her agenda is hard to get past. <laughs> uh, she sa- faces a lot of opposition. But, um, yeah, her goal is in a lot of cases just stopping some of the bills she does not like. Another issue that's going to be uh, much talked about this year, Republicans in Topeka really pushing this idea of a flat tax. Could that be something they push again this year and any chance that's going to pass? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely possible they'll pitch another flat tax. Um, it would have last year's plan would have been like 5.15%. Uh, um, you know, critics kind of oppose this because, you know, it, it would basically everyone, the vast majority of Kansans would pay the same income tax. But the biggest benefit would be the wealthiest Kansans. You know, they would see um, the biggest tax cut. Um, last year, that plan, that provision alone would have cut like $330 million from the state budget, which the state has the money to do that. They have, they're on course to have like more than $2.5 billion in the bank next year, next summer. But um, Kelly vetoed that. Uh, she, you know, mentioned the concern about the, you know, basically helping the wealthiest Kansans. But she also says she had concerns about it kind of draining the budget as years go on. Um, however, you know, Republicans tried to override that veto um, from Kelly and they fell just short. A couple of mm-hmm. Republicans didn't, you know, follow, uh, fall in line. And that, that may also be a big issue with the uh, election coming up. They may, you know, Republican leadership may use the upcoming election as pressure to get those who didn't override that veto last year to do it again or try to get it this year. Um, you know, we've already seen a couple of lawmakers mention they've been targeted with uh, um, campaign ads, basically mm-hmm. saying they don't support this flat tax. You should vote them out. So when you say flat tax, we're talking about one income tax rate basically for every Kansan compared to what it is today, which are there are several different tax rates, right? Right. There's, I think, three brackets. Three brackets, um, yeah. the, You know, lower income people pay um, a smaller uh, percentage, although you know, I think basically everyone over $30,000 a year in annual income pays the same tax rate. So it's really um, paying, you know, people below that would be seeing their taxes rise a little bit. 
um, or their annual uh, average um, rate, and then uh, the everyone above thirty thousand would see it decrease a little bit. You mentioned this idea of a surplus. There's you know more than two billion dollars on hand come next summer. You just said, Dylan. How does that affect the thinking of lawmakers? Because my experience always has been when there's money sitting around, lawmakers would like to spend it. Right. I mean, well, that was also the case last year. Um, they did increase funding here and there, um, but they did still leave billions of dollars unused. And a lot of that is coming from COVID-19 federal funds that um, um, they have that they can still use. So um, part of Kelly's concern of back to the tax cuts that, you know, that's that's why, you know, lawmakers are really want to start cutting taxes and give some of that money back to Kansans because they're clearly not using it. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's those dollars aren't ongoing revenue. It's one-time funding they got from the federal government, a lot of it, not all of it. But so there's that's why Kelly's a little concerned about making tax cuts that are too significant because that those money that money's going to run out. But um, from a spending aspect, um, there's definitely a lot of, I mean, Kelly uh, called for the Medicaid, even though the federal government would cover a lot of that in the um, uh, meantime. But, um, you know, uh, last year they had a, a, the opportunity to spend a lot of that money and they didn't. School choice has also been a big issue for Kansans uh, recently. What's going to happen on that front? Um, well, we've heard a few Republicans mention that it's a priority. Uh, they had a um, special uh, uh, committee meet over uh, the off season of the legislature, um, you know, and they were kind of uh, talking about um, bringing that back. The bill last year would have um, basically provided five thousand dollars to. Um, families who sent their children to uh, private school or homeschool. And critics kind of argue that's a way to take public funding for public education and moving it to private schools um, kind of uh, defeats the purpose of public education. And um, I mean, you heard a couple minutes ago, Kelly, uh, Governor Kelly's going to oppose that forever. She'll veto vouchers <laughs> into eternity, I think she said. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, she told me that she would you know, stick with that plan. But um, um, I remember uh, House Speaker Dan Hawkins, who's a Republican, mentioned recently in Wichita that he plans that's a priority. However, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people who are not thrilled with how public education is going, which is, you know, theoretically, who would want to take advantage of that kind of um, voucher. But Kelly mentioned uh, to me that, uh, you know, um, there's not a lot of private schools in Kansas, and uh, especially in rural areas. So they're um, especially, you know, rural residents really wouldn't see much of a benefit from this type of tax credit. And um, there's also, she argues in other states that the people who use this tax credit are people who are already sending their kids to private schools. So it's really not advancing um, anything, so to speak. A couple more issues here. We just had Kansas uh, Senate President Ty Masterson on the show just a few short weeks ago. We asked him about medical marijuana, Dylan. He said on our show that he isn't totally ruling it out, but he has also often said he views that as a pathway to recreational marijuana, which he opposes. Do you expect any movement on medical weed this session? Um, no. <laughs> really? I don't think uh, Senate Senator Masterson would let it through the Senate. I know we've seen the House... Um, pass a bill, um, you know, they've come together and passed a bill that would legalize marijuana, but then it reaches the Senate and doesn't get anywhere. Uh, I know uh, Senator Masterson was on here a couple weeks ago talking about that. And, you know, he's been making that argument for a long time that, you know, there's no studies, there's no, we don't know the right way to do it. But 
you know, the vast majority of the country <laughs> has already moved that way. So um, it's kind of, you know, um, as long as the way the legislature is currently constructed, I don't see anything changing. Yeah. Wait, and the uh, hold up for recreational marijuana in Kansas is so, so, sort of the, the same story you're just laying out here. Right. I mean, uh, Masterson said he I, I think he's been very serious critic of recreation, recreational marijuana, even though there is support of a large majority of Kansans support it. Yeah. And we've seen, I mean, several states around Kansas now have uh, recreational marijuana. So, um, but yeah, it's the same. I think they're even more opposed to recreational marijuana than they are medical. Okay, that's Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service. Dylan, always appreciate you coming by. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bet. We'll be right back. Now on the line with us from Jeff City to break down the 2024 Missouri legislative session that's already underway is Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief over at the Missouri Independent. Jason, welcome back to the show. Always good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Steve. You wrote in an article just earlier this week that expectations are simply not high for the 2024 legislative session. What did you mean by that? Well, it's sort of multifactorial. You have an election year and things tend to get bogged down when uh, everybody's running against each other. And this year in particular, you have a handful of state reps all vying for state Senate seats. You have about five or six state senators running statewide, including a few against each other. That has a tendency to make things difficult. Um, and, you know, more importantly, the Senate in, uh, hasn't really functioned even under the best of circumstances over the last few years. And so you start adding in, it's an election year, the, the the divisions in the Missouri Senate amongst Republicans have only seemed to have gotten worse. And, you know, we saw that somewhat on display yesterday when um, for about an hour, some of the folks that have been, uh, you know, most upset with Republican leadership uh, took the floor for about an hour and, and sort of aired grievances and hmm. uh, sort of announced their formation of a new caucus that they hope will will drive the chamber to the right. So it, 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 even on the first day, it didn't seem like it got up on a great foot. You're talking about Republicans complaining about other Republicans here, right? Yeah, there's a new caucus. It's a, a group of Republicans. They used to be the conservative caucus, and now they're the freedom caucus. But hmm. the the group is is roughly the same makeup, and they've had a, you know disagreements with Republican leadership for years that have made the chamber quite dysfunctional. And you know, last year, it was the least productive session other than the COVID shortened session over the last three decades. So um, that's sort of where we're, we're, we're entering into this year. So lots of political infighting, given how many members of the General Assembly are actually running for higher office. You think that's going to bog things down? Yeah, I mean, yesterday you had, uh, you know, the, the Senate President Pro Tem, who's running for Secretary of State, um, give his opening address. One of the first people to speak was uh, Senator Denny Hoskins, who's from Warrensburg. He's running against Rowden in that primary. Um, you know, Senator Bill Eigel spoke yesterday, who's running for governor. While he was speaking, Mike Kehoe was presiding over the chamber, the lieutenant governor. They're facing off in a primary this hmm. year for governor. So it's it's a lot of personalities. It's a lot of political posturing. It's a lot of old uh, tension that hasn't resolved itself. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of the rotunda in the House, you have a speaker who's got this sort of swirl of scandal around him and an ethics investigation that 
could bog things down over there. So it's, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's, there's not a lot of high hopes that we're going to have a, an incredibly productive session. Let's talk about the House Speaker. His name is Dean Plocker, uh, facing that ethics investigation you just mentioned, an ethics investigation by his uh, own chamber, by the way. You've written a lot of these stories, Jason, uh, about him that have come out in recent weeks. Remind our listeners of the allegation that he's facing right now. Well, sort of threefold. There's the, the first involved a contract that he was pushing for uh, to privatize constituent management, which is essentially like managing constituent information. The House has an in-house uh, program that they use. He wanted to turn that over to a private company, and he's accused of uh, some unethical and potentially unlawful conduct, including threatening the jobs of some nonpartisan staff in that push. Um, second is this idea that he's, you know, we call it double dipping that he sought reimbursement. He filed false expense reports seeking reimbursement from the House um, for things that his campaign had paid for. These are things like travel, airfare, hotels, rental cars, things like that. And then um, thirdly, he, um, you know, he dismissed his chief of staff um, in between some of these scandals breaking. Um, and he's being, uh, you know, the House Ethics Committee is looking into whether he violated House protocols and how he fired this person. Um, and whether this person qualified as, as a whistleblower. So there's hmm. sort of these multiple things kind of swirling around him. And then more recently, I don't know if it's part of the ethics investigation, but he has faced some criticism for some rather uh, expensive renovations that he made to the speaker's office, including turning a, another legislator's office into a, a sort of a liquor cabinet. So there's lots of things swirling around him as, as he enters into his last year as as speaker. You know, those are fairly serious accusations. They're fairly, they're easily understood, even by folks who don't follow all this uh, stuff all that closely. But at least based on what I saw yesterday, House Republicans appear to be still standing beside him. And that was his point. He was asked about it yesterday of, you know, whether he can continue to lead the chamber with all this sort of swirling around him. And he said, you know, just look at the people behind me. You know, he was standing at a podium with you know, his Republican caucus members behind him. So, you know, he's been defiant. He said he's not going to let this slow down uh, his his agenda. He denies any wrongdoing. And he's, you know, hopeful that the ethics committee will clear his name. Um, there's no real indication of how long this ethics investigation will take. Everyone who's involved, they can't speak about it publicly. It's a confidential investigation. But what they have said is that they're dedicated to, you know, uh, due process for the in this uh, investigation. And so, you know, it may wrap up in, the, you know, the next few weeks, months. It could drag out through the session, but uh, it's sort of lingering in the background. But, yeah, to your point, the Speaker Plocker's uh, committed that he's not going to resign, despite some calls from his fellow Republicans to do so. And he's not going to let this uh, act as a stumbling block for him to pursue some of his legislative goals. We're talking about the 2024 Missouri legislative session now underway in the state capitol. Republicans in the General Assembly, like House Majority Leader Jonathan Patterson, I think he's from Lee Summit. Last year, he points out that LGBTQ related issues were pretty prominent. But now Patterson is saying they're going to take something of a backseat this year uh, to more uh, to issues like child care, crime, education and the like. Does that surprise you in an election year? Well, not coming from uh, Representative Patterson. He was somebody who had some heartburn about some of these issues anyway. Um, you know, he's a doctor. He didn't vote for all of the proposals that came through. I, I think he didn't vote for the, the legislation that 
um, ban gender affirming care for minors. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he either didn't vote for it or he voiced some apprehension about it. So I'm not surprised that this isn't a huge issue for him. You know, they did pass stuff last year. There is a contingent of conservative lawmakers that want to push forward with it a little bit further. Um, you know, there's a sunset, you know, an expiration date on some of these uh, prohibitions that they want to do away with. Uh, they want to continue to to kind of keep this issue front and center. But um, it's tricky when you just pass something and it was there was a lot of, you know, a lot of pain went into passing that bill. And in a lot of cases, it went even further than most people anticipated because just that bill, that law, that ban going into effect, even though it was supposed to grandfather in uh, people who were currently getting treatments, there was some apprehension that it would open hospitals up for liability. So, you know, a lot of places just stopped offering even to current patients. Hmm. So it was it was far more sweeping than even some of the folks that voted for it uh, expected. And so I don't think it's going to get a lot of traction this year, but, you know, we'll see. I'm wondering what some of the other biggest priorities of lawmakers are heading into this legislative session. And I can't help but wonder about sports betting, uh, something that so many Missourians appear to want, but uh, legislator uh, legislators are bogged down on that issue. Is that going to change this year or are we still in the same place we've been? It seems as though we're still in the exact same spot where we have these sort of competing interests between casinos and sports teams and these sort of, uh, you know, slot machine like uh the machines that are in gas stations and sort of vfw halls around the state all everybody's sort of in a circular firing squad keeping uh, any progress from really picking up momentum and jason what's That's the issue think- there they're, they're these slot machines and gas stations there's uh, traditional sports betting on professional teams why can't they both coexist i think it's just sort of a mutually assured destruction you have the the VLTs, the video lottery terminals. They don't want, uh, you know, the state to come in and, and, and implement regulations. You have folks that don't want sports betting without those sort of regulations. The issues just keep getting intertwined, even though technically, I guess, uh, we, you can make the case that they shouldn't be. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of sports teams begin to, to wrestle up some support, uh, file some initiative petitions in the hopes of potentially putting something on the ballot this year. You know, we'll see. Time's running short on that. But, you know, Speaker Plocker was asked about this at the press conference yesterday. He's been a big proponent of it in the past. He's been a sponsor of it for years. And he didn't have high expectations that there would be much of a change or any sort of new progress made, uh, even though it is an issue that most lawmakers say they hear about more than any other from their constituents. So basically what you're saying is there's interest in each of these camps, the the sports the lottery machines and then uh, traditional sports betting, and they're fighting each other, I guess, over the same, uh, the, over how much of the pie that each, each side can get. Yeah, essentially that, you know, nobody wants to grant the other side an inch uh, on their issues without getting themselves covered. And it just sort of ends up, uh, bogging down the whole issue. There's another issue I wanted to ask you about. It's called renewing the FRA. It's seen as crucial. It affects the state's Medicaid program. Tell us about it. What is the FRA? This is a series of taxes on hospitals and nursing homes, and they, they contribute billions of dollars to the state's Medicaid program. It's been in, in place since 1992. It's been renewed over and over again without much of a, without much you know, consternation for, you know, the better part of three decades. In 2021, uh, it became a huge issue when you had some of the members of the conservative caucus, now the Freedom Caucus, um, in the Senate 
demanding that it contain some provisions outlawing certain contraceptive uh, products and also banning uh, abortion providers like Planned Parenthood from having access to Medicaid funds. The, the, the gridlock got so bad, the disagreement got so bad, they adjourned without renewing it, had to come back in a special session, finally got it done and renewed it for two years. Well, it, it expires this year, so they have to do it again. And that's really got a lot of people worried, you know, again, in an election year with so much bad blood, um, having to do this really big, important thing that, you know, if, if they don't do it, blows a massive hole in the state budget. Hmm. Um, you know, it's got a lot of people nervous that if we have a replay of 2021, it could be, it could be even worse given all the changes over the last couple of years and the makeup of the Senate and the, the dynamic of the Senate. Another issue that's hot this session is changing the way that citizens can pass these initiative petitions that have led to big changes in Missouri in recent years, including uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, what, what's 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 what example, what initiative? I was going to say abortion, but that was Kansas. I'm getting my states mixed up here. Well, we expanded Medicaid, Medicaid you know, legalized right. marijuana, uh, raised the minimum wage. Uh, there's been quite a few in recent years pushed into the Constitution. But some lawmakers want to make this process more difficult. Why? Uh, well, it's been a priority for a number of years. You have a Republican supermajority, and a lot of the issues I just mentioned are sort of left-of-center ideas like expanding Medicaid, like repealing right to work, like uh, you know legalizing marijuana. But the big push in the recent uh, last year and, and this year was is this possibility that abortion rights could be on the ballot in November. You have a couple dueling campaigns mm-hmm. that seek to legalize abortion. They want to try to collect signatures, get that on the ballot. Remains to be seen if they'll be successful, but it's been such an easy win in so many states that Republicans don't want this to be a, a, a such a, you know, they don't want them to just be able to get 51% and then change the Constitution to legalize abortion. So there's tons of ideas out there, but the big one is trying to make it just raise the threshold so that you have to get a higher percentage of the vote in order to amend the Constitution in the hopes that it would undercut any potential abortion rights constitutional amendment that makes it on the ballot this year. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's Jason Hancock. He's editor-in-chief over at the Missouri Independent, a great site to check up on what's going on in Jeff City. Jason, always appreciate your time. Thanks for the rundown. Yep, thanks, Steve. You bet. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Elizabeth Erb. Paul Nakatura is our announcer and engineer. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.